Hey there. Welcome to Sobertown Podcast. I want to invite you to visit the wonderful world of sobriety. You can visit our website, which is SobertownPodcast.com. This is where you can find sober tools for your sober toolbox, such as Todd's blog on how to successfully manage alcohol triggers and cravings. We also post the Rewired Podcast and the schedule for Zooms. This is where you can find all these beautiful recovery stories that we all share from our heart of our hero's journey. We also have a Facebook community, Sobertown Facebook. I want to introduce myself. My name is Viv. Some of you know me as Sober I Thrive on the I Am Sober app, which we warmly know as IAS. The I Am Sober app is a daily counter that you can download in your app store. It's easy. It's free. And that's where we all met and we contribute to SobertownPodcast.com. On there, there's a community button where we can create community and connection. In addition, I'm a sober recovery coach certified in Roots of Addiction, the joys of sober recovery, and the neuroscience of addiction. I'm also a certified life coach. All you have to do to take advantage of a complimentary call with me for 30 minutes is send me your email. And you can send this email to viv at soberithrive.org. All it takes to change your life is to take the first step and schedule your confidential, complimentary call. Everyone needs a sober cheerleader. And with the SoberTownPodcast.com, we can help create the sober warrior within you. Good morning, ladies. This is Viv. Some of you know me as Sober. I thrive on the app. And I'm here with two of our brilliant ladies from IAS. That's where we met. We're also part of a Telegram group. We've been discussing the important fact of putting ourselves first. When we don't put ourselves first and we were under the illusion or the veil of addiction, we used to do everything for everyone. In addiction, we had to prove that we didn't have a problem. And because we didn't have a problem, we had to justify doing everything. So it was a circle of addiction. I have problems because I drink and I drink because I have problems. So in sobriety, we do underwhelming. What is underwhelming? It's putting ourselves first. So this is dedicated to everyone that at some point in time in your journey had a thought that putting yourself first was selfishness. It is never selfish to put yourself first when it comes to sobriety. It can save your life. Ladies, we're going to be doing this introduction. I am so happy that you guys are joining me this beautiful Sunday. So Molly, please introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Molly. I'm so excited to be here. I am Molly Wog on IAS, and my sober date is April 5th of 2022. Woo! And since we got you on here, I want you to plug your new endeavor. Okay. All right. I'm so excited. This is something that I've been pondering over and not sure how to incorporate 
what I feel like is a hobby with sobriety, but now they are one and the same. So I have a YouTube channel. The name is Offbeat Sobriety ASMR. And I make relaxing videos. I talk about my journey in sobriety, tips and tricks and things that are working in my life for mental health, for sobriety, all of those things. And I have always really enjoyed ASMR videos. So I'm excited to incorporate sobriety into that and give back to the community. Thank you. That That's brilliant. I think that's amazing when you can find your gifts and your joy when we become sober and we have a lot more time on our hands, then that allows us to discover. So I just wanted to give Molly a big shout out for her YouTube channel. And I've done it myself. I've listened to it while I've been in moments of stress and I needed to, to take a minute and just calm down. And it has been relaxing. So thank you for that, Molly. Our other guest that we have is someone that is my my personal favorite friend, uh, chatty, 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 chatty friend, and I had the ability to do her recovery stories. You all know her as Mary, and she is the one that distributes the flyers for us when it comes to the community. And she puts all the schedules together when the Zooms are together. And you might have seen those floating around IAS. We are not affiliated with IAS. But we do this as a service and in service to others. Mary, can you please introduce yourself? Hi, thanks for having me, Viv. It's good to be here. I am Mary, a hummingbird's appetite on the app. I just hit 18 months sober. And that is correct. I'm now distributing contraband in a different way in sobriety, making the flyers and giving them out. and causing a whole lot of headache for IAS. But yeah, it's my pleasure to to help try to share the information because I know the Zooms have been instrumental to me in my recovery and doing what I can to give back to the community as well. I think that it, both of you are just amazing because I've seen the transformation from when first coming into IAS to seeing you, I've seen Molly and Mary both host Zooms, lady Zooms. These are acts of service, but also tell me, Molly, what it means to you to put yourself first. Okay. Well, first of all, let's talk about what alcohol did. What did alcohol do for me? So alcohol eventually became my companion, a lover, a friend, stress relief, a way to celebrate. It became this coping skill, unhealthy coping skill, and a way to cope and deal with life. And so instead of learning to regulate my emotions and really look at the whys behind the heightened emotions or the stress that I was facing or have the ability to celebrate and not feel overwhelmed, I used alcohol. And so once that was taken away, I was scared. I felt alone. I felt like I lost my best friend and companion. And there wasn't anything else to fill that. So after 
trying to quit and trying to quit and trying to quit and so many resets, it occurred to me that I couldn't do this out of guilt, out of shame, out of just being fed up or frustrated. I tried that over and over. And eventually I would reach back for my familiar unhealthy coping skill. So the biggest shift for me was realizing that I had to do this for me and that this huge hole in my heart and soul, alcohol actually didn't fill. And that even if I allowed myself to drink as much as I possibly wanted, that was never going to go away with that poison. So putting myself first was realizing that I am worthy of sobriety, that I'm worthy of doing the hard work that it takes to create and discover new coping skills to deal with life. So that has been the biggest turning point, the biggest change in my life. Those coping skills are things like self-love, self-care, taking a bubble bath, painting my nails. Sometimes it's just making a, a cup of tea and sitting quietly with yourself and meditating. But the biggest change was trying to figure out how to phrase this. Putting my needs first. When you put your needs first and your mental health first, it will bleed out into every part of your life, in your family, in your work life, and everything else. So that, that has been the biggest impact on my growth and my sobriety. Yeah, definitely saw the change from when you entered, when we entered into our friendship. And I saw that your personal growth was so amazing because it was the moment that you started letting go was the moment that it was such a beautiful change because I remember there was a conversation that you and I had and it was like, this is the first time I've ever been applauded for taking a four hour nap. <laughs> I can do that. I can do that. And everybody's like, yeah, Molly, you go girl. You have that nap. So what a change in the mindset, right? Totally. Yeah. It made a huge difference. Mary, what does putting yourself first mean to you? Oh, well, I love everything that Molly said. I think she really hit the nail on the head with all of that. And I really resonate with using alcohol as a coping mechanism and eventually realizing that it didn't actually fill any need for me. But I think to me, putting myself first is really about, you know, I, I think there's a lot of discussion about whether it's selfish or self-care. And I was actually having this conversation with a friend the other day who is uh, new just a couple weeks into her sobriety. And she's trying to kind of figure out how to navigate self-care without being selfish. And I think it comes down to... When you are putting yourself first, you're ultimately bringing your best self into every situation. And there's nothing that's selfish about that. At the end of the day, your family, 
your friends, all the people around you, they really do deserve the best version of you. I've always been like a bit of a people pleaser and a bit of a codependent and all that kind of stuff through sobriety, you know, and podcasts and reading and all this stuff. I've really learned that those were just my coping mechanisms to kind of control the people around me and how I'm seen and kind of manipulate myself to be in like this certain position for people. And it always ended up leading to resentments. I did a lot of stuff that was above and beyond my actual abilities. And at the end of the day, you know, me being completely burnt out and hating everyone else for it because of purely my own choices of behavior is not bringing my best self to any situation. I think my self-care and my putting myself first is a lot of the same stuff Molly said, bubble baths. Oh my God, I love a freaking bubble bath. I had two bubbles yesterday. (laughs) Yoga, I get massages regularly now. I go get my nails done. Sleep is huge. Like I have to get my eight hours of sleep. And I've really developed like some routines to kind of like make sure I'm taking care of myself, whether it's taking my makeup off or, you know, dental care and all that kind of stuff. I eat a lot healthier than I used to. I do regular exercise. So all of that is, I think, really important to to putting myself first. And, you know, it's, it's just like the little things like doing a meditation, like for work, for example, if I have a stressful meeting coming up, taking five minutes out of my work day to meditate before I step into that space, it gives me the opportunity to be bringing like a more focused version of myself and someone who's actually able to kind of deal with the the stress they're walking into. And it, you know, it means that I'm not so reactive in situations. I'm able to stop for a second and think and respond in a more like effective, productive way. And yeah, I think that's, that's basically it. I think these are really good points that, that we all put together here because I think as a woman, because the series is based for women by women, because who knows us better than ourselves, right? And so even though you're humans, first of all, but as women, there's different stressors that we have and it's just part of the makeup. So I wanted to make sure that I made this series in order for women to be able to feel empowered. And one of the things that I've realized and the reason that I said with Mary that chatty is because Mary is one of the people that we work in Silvertown and we work together for different types of endeavors through Silvertown. But there are days that I get stressed out, just like any other person. And I'll pick up the phone. Do you have a moment for me to to vent? And it's asking permission to the other person as well, because you don't want to just go in and dump everything on that person and they're not ready for it. But at the same time, to have that respect for each other, to say, hey, do you have a minute where I can just vent and let this out? I think that's one of the biggest things for me in this community. In the beginning, putting myself first was putting myself out there, being vulnerable, 
like I said, we belong to a telegram group. I made out the call and Molly and Mary came forward and we're doing this together. And I think it's the reason that I'm putting this out there about community is because when I have had the moments that have been the most difficult for myself and being able to talk about it, these ladies can attest that that I'll ask most of the time, is this an event or do you want feedback? Because it's hard, you know, sometimes we just, all we need is just a vent. And I think that that's some with, with vulnerability and to be just heard. And I think that sometimes that vulnerability that we've had in the outside world, I'm going to call it, is not been there because of so many different reasons that someone will think, who does she think she is? Her problems aren't that big. How do you guys feel about that? Like that conversations, those conversations that we all have, because then we have a chat group in which we go in and we talk about stuff. Yeah. One thing that I never knew was that asking for help is putting yourself first. I didn't know that. I thought that I was supposed to take on the entire world. And with what Mary was saying about resentments, if you do continue to take on and take on and take on and never ask for help, resentment builds and it really becomes toxic. And if when you were feeling overwhelmed, you had just reached out and said, hey, I need some help, maybe things could have been different for you. The very first Zoom that I joined, I was absolutely terrified. I was super intimidated, but I was also in a place of complete desperation. And I had tried every other path that I could possibly think of except for asking for help. So I was on IAS, I was resetting, and I kept seeing these Zooms and I kind of just said, well, screw it. What I'm doing isn't working. What's the worst that can happen? I'm going to be a little uncomfortable and shy at first. That's the worst thing that's going to happen. So let me just give this a shot. And instantly being greeted with open arms and no judgment made me realize, oh, there's a community of people exactly like me. And I'm not the only one in the world with these issues. I'm not the only one that was scared to ask for help the first time and slowly started building relationships, meeting amazing people. Now I have this tight knit community of women that I trust with everything that I can go to with anything that are there for me and are supportive and are loving. And I am worth that. I'm worth having these people on my side. And I didn't always realize that it was possible to be surrounded by so much support, to have people supporting me. And I think that that was the missing piece. It was that community piece that changed a lot for me. Definitely. We put ourselves out there. I think it's so funny, Mary, and, and she's talked about this very openly. She's like, I think that everybody hates me. And we're all in that <laughs> same bubble, right? Everybody hates me. Everybody hates me. 
And it's just something, I don't know, that for putting ourselves out there and then we're like afraid because we put ourselves out there and then we're second guessing putting ourselves out there. And I always say, this is like Zumba, you know? If you've ever done any type of workout at the gym, I just use Zumba because I remember basically not following any of the steps and I was being so self-conscious. But at the gym, everybody's just working out their own machine and you're thinking everybody's looking at me. Nobody's looking. Nobody's looking. So I think that's one of the great points that you bring up too, Mary. Like, what do you think about that vulnerability and putting yourself first? Because that's what you've done too. Yeah, I think that's a good point, what you said about the gym, because I do worry all the time that everybody hates me. But then I have to remember that, like, I'm not the center of the universe. And I think that's a big thing with with addicts is we kind of we think everything kind of revolves around us. And that has been a lot for me to come around to is the fact that it's like this weird like self-deprecating but also very self-involved viewpoint of the world and i don't you know there isn't a lot of logic behind it so i'm not going to spend too much time on that but yeah i mean everybody's not focused on what i'm doing to the extent that i am and the amount of time that i'll spend analyzing everything i've ever said and done in my life Versus the amount of time that anybody else is putting into thinking about that is, you know, laughably on both, you know, the far ends of the spectrum. So I think, yeah, I think it's important to remember that once you vented and said what you had to say and people have heard you, they're not sitting there dissecting every little piece of your words. Like, they, you know, they have their own lives. They have their own things that they're worried about. And they're moving on with their day after that. So I think, you know, there's no there's no harm in the vulnerability. You're not, you know, risking putting some version of yourself out into the universe that you don't want to be seen. And I think even Molly's, we've had this conversation where we've gone back and forth and I, she'll tell me or I'll tell her, you mean I'm not the center of the universe, right? Yes, yes, I was... I was just thinking about the fact that I also worry about that. And then I put myself in the other person's shoes. Let's say worst case scenario, you put yourself out there and somebody is judging you hard. And in their mind, they're just like making fun of you. Maybe they even say like a nasty comment. What does that say about that person? It doesn't say anything about you. It says very clearly something about the other person. And I'm not the kind of person that judges and and does all of those things. Then I don't have to own anybody else's judgments of myself. Absolutely. Great point. Yeah. They've said something about people get concerned about sharing something and are, are my problems big enough to bring up or am I just kind of complaining about something that's not important? And I think the other thing that's that I like to keep in mind is it's not a competition. And that's something that that I have a lot of trouble with is bringing up stuff that I feel like maybe isn't isn't big enough to be worried about or I feel kind of like like stupid putting so much thought into something. But, you know, especially now that we have this group of supportive women that I feel like I can say something and not be judged by. I I really realize that 
it's not a competition. I'm not competing with anybody else to have like the worst situation. And if it was, I don't want to win that competition either. I don't want to have the worst situation. There's there's always going to be somebody that has it worse than you and that's okay. And it's it's okay to say what you need to say and it doesn't have to be, you know, a big problem or something huge to be worthy of of just venting it and getting it out, you know? Yeah, I think that that's something really important about putting ourselves first is is going through those uncomfortable moments, getting comfortable with being uncomfortable, right? And so I had come up with some amazing benefits. I was looking up the topic, actually, and then I did a little bit of a variation off of it. And I wanted to get your thoughts on it. It's Four amazing benefits of putting yourself first. What it says is that for lasting change, it first begins with with the stirring in your soul. The classroom is deep within you. This is where real transformational knowledge is found. When you begin to self-reflect, you're able to understand yourself better and pull back the mass of your limiting beliefs. You'll outrun the delusions of inadequacy and redesign the elements of your life that is screaming for change. This habit of carving out time to connect with yourself is essentially putting yourself first. So I really do believe that putting ourselves first is first and foremost, the most basic need that we need. Because I know that our roles as women, sometimes we're mothers, sometimes we're, you know, we're caretakers, we are everything to everyone. And we have, like you said, that people pleasing side of us, even being someone that works in a corporate environment, we want to do the best, we want to be the best, we're at home, we want to do the best, we want to be the best. And then everything starts getting squeezed in. And then that's when something breaks or something needs to uh, that release valve so what the benefits said of putting yourself first you'll become independent so this was an old belief okay this quote is from napoleon bonaparte bonaparte or napoleon bonaparte if you want a thing done well do it yourself so that's an old limiting belief So if you think life is hard, try imagining how it must have felt for our ancestors. And it says their lives were far much harder than ours. If we didn't go out hunting for a deer, there was no deer for dinner. Sounds sounds difficult, doesn't it? That's where those old limiting beliefs came from. Our ancestors would definitely frown upon us because we've surrounded ourselves with the limiting beliefs of lives with quick fixes. So we've dimmed down our ability to sit, evaluate, and fix our problems. Instead, we find it easier to run from them. As we've become dependent on other systems and other ways of thinking and addictions, it all starts with putting ourselves first. When we look deep within the cradle of our problems, our problems start to swim in the focus. So basically what this is saying, and I believe this, in sobriety, as you said, we would, Molly, we would go to something. If the problem would arise, we would go to the bottle, right? So now the problem arises, and now we're like, okay, well, what am I supposed to do with this? 
And I love what it says to look deep within of the problems start to swim. Because when they finally flow to the surface, we're able to analyze them and know that we need to do less or we need to double down on it. This is the first crucial step to unraveling the solutions that could potentially change our life. So what do you think about that? When the problems arise, I feel and I've seen like in the community, we've drank for so long. So therefore we think that we have to solve everything all at once. What do you think about that? With the the people pleasing part of it, because that's totally me, a learned behavior from right ever since I can remember, I was a people pleaser. As a little kid, I was like playing charades and putting on shows for the family because was like, look at me, not the dysfunction. But when other people are upset, that's a problem in your life because you want other people to be happy. So if someone I love is angry or sad or upset, and that's the problem with being kind of the, okay, I have to make this person happy. I have to, you know, dig into this. I have to figure it out and I have to take it on. And this is, this is my problem that needs to be solved. That was always the way that I went ever since I can remember. And then alcohol came into the picture and that was my coping mechanism was to numb it, you know, because you can't please everybody all the time. So at some point, your people pleasing is going to fail. You're not going to be able to make everybody happy all the time. And so alcohol was there. So now I can look at someone else's problem and take a step back. I still am working on that. It's a lifelong probably journey for me to dissect that and grow. But, you know, dissecting it isn't something I would have done in the past. I wouldn't have said, this is this person's problem. I'm here to support and and I'm going to give them space. Now I can do that. I can look at it from above, see it for what it really is, not tell lies to myself and say that it's my fault or I'm responsible or take ownership over it. Looking at it. And awareness of those things means that I can cope in a healthy way because it's still, it makes me uncomfortable. When other people are unhappy, it makes me uncomfortable. So I have to find a healthy way to cope with that, which is looking at the facts. It's not my issue. And then doing something to soothe myself as if I'm uncomfortable, I deserve to feel some relief from that. Right. And in that that's exactly one of the things that I've seen with with you is that you you would come and we would talk about you're like, I don't feel like I have to fix everybody's everything. I would see that within you. You're the prime example of the quote I was looking at that says, if you want something done, you got to do it yourself. And all of a sudden you were like, I'm not believing that anymore. I'm stepping back and I don't have to fix anything for anyone. And I have time. And we've discussed this, that we gain time because we're no longer blacking out. That time that we blacked out was was basically cutting our lives in half. But now we've got more time available to us. So not everything has to be fixed and not everything has to be done in a hot minute. We get to release the valve. 
we get to soothe ourselves, love ourselves and put ourselves first. So I think, thank you for that. Thank you. I'm going to go to number two. It says, you'll become a good communicator. This quote comes from Catherine Pulsifer. Communication is one of the most important skills you require for a successful life. It's a fact that communication is what shapes the world. Thus, you stand the better chance of going farther in your life if you're a better communicator. Communication helps you to represent and sell yourself to others. And in this manner in which you can execute and determine how others will receive and treat you. Says, but you already know that. What normally is overlooked, though, is the importance of the communication we have with ourselves, which is fundamentally the most crucial. The kind of communication you have with the person in the mirror makes the difference between fading into the shadows of your failures or stepping into the light of your dreams. Listen to yourself. You can master that. It'll be so easy for you to identify your triggers and filters that color of your judgment. It'll be open to the air and perspectives of others when you listen to communicate and not just listen to listen because you've learned how to separate your assumptions and judgments. This approach will make you a better communicator who is open-minded, attentive, approachable, and engaging. Mary, you deal with so many different people in so many aspects. I, that is one of the things that I, I, I mean, you handle Sobertown, you, you handle everyone that goes to you, and you also have this full-time job that you wrangle. So and when I think about communication, I, I, not that I don't think of anybody else, but I admire the way that you've mastered it. We've done your recovery story. I know that that was one of the things that held you back and was hard. What do you think about communicating with the person in the mirror? What does that look like? Thank you, first of all. I don't, I've never thought of myself as being a master communicator by any means. And I think that's something that I 100% have to thank sobriety for because before I got sober, like I couldn't really string together a full sentence or thought from beginning to end and actually have it be understood and have it meet the criteria of what I was actually trying to say. So that's that's very cool to hear. I feel like I've come definitely a long way in that. So thank you. As far as communicating with myself, I think a lot of it has come down to just being honest with myself. And a lot of that has to do with being able to look at my own limitations and stuff like that and be able to understand that there's just certain things that I just can't do. And I'm just a single person and there's a limited number of hours in the day. And I know my daughter gets sick of me saying it because I say to her all the time, like, I, you know, I don't, I, I control a lot of things in this household, but I don't control time. I don't, I have no control over how time passes and a certain point time elapses and I can't do anything about that. And I, how many hands do I have? I have two hands. Like I literally can't do anything else aside from what my two hands will allow me to do. And so I think accepting that. I do have limitations and that's okay because I'm I'm a human and that's just that's part of humanhood, you know, is just 
having limitations and being able to work within them. And so, you know, sometimes that means just like underwhelming around the house. If it's I'm just out of energy for the day and there's still a sink full of dishes, you know, it's not the end of the world if that waits until tomorrow. And I'm definitely, you know, on that note, a lot more hygienic of a person than I was when I was drinking. So there's not usually a sink full of dishes. I just want to throw that out there. But, <laughs> but you know, it's just like the little things. Like, it's okay to to see something that's not complete and just let it be incomplete until the next day. Because there's always going to be more time to do something later and... Things don't need to be completed to perfection from start to finish. So I really try to be honest with myself about what my limitations are so I'm not pushing myself beyond them. Because once again, that's another thing that leads to resentments between, you know, myself and other people. And so I've kind of started to learn how to communicate that at work a little bit more because I have a very high stress job. My employer can be, you know, very demanding and I work very, very closely with the CEO of the company that I work for. And she, you know, she knows what she wants and she knows when she wants it. And I have to be able to step up and say, you know, at a certain point, there is a limit to what I'm able to do. And, you know, we need to prioritize and you know, that kind of thing. And it really helps with, not only does it help with my stress level, but it helps with the expectations that other people have of me. Because there's no reason for me to be acting like I can do everything all the time and then only be able to meet 50% of that. Like, not only does that make me feel bad, but it doesn't really make me look good either. So to actually be able to step up and communicate what I'm able to do and, you know, underwhelm a little bit. Maybe I can even go a little bit above and beyond what I said I was able to do and not, yeah, not lead to disappointing others, but more importantly, not lead to, you know, disappointing or burning out myself, I think is, has been really important for me. Yeah, because I, I wanted to bring it up because I've seen firsthand you have the grace to tell when we've talked and I've gone to you for certain things with grace to tell me, you know what, Viv? Hey, maybe I, I don't think I'm going to be able to get to it right now. It's going to take me a week or you know what? I can't do that right now. I'm doing something else. And it takes grace and love for oneself to be able to say no. And I think we undervalue the, the, the word no within our lives. Like you said, you know, to handle everything. And to be everything to everyone and then fall short and feel shitty about ourselves is a disservice for our own well-being. I think somebody says, it's a, I don't know, it's a quote somewhere, but no is a complete sentence. <laughs> I'm trying to remember that is that it, it's okay to say no. And yeah, I think you called me yesterday and I was like, well, I'm on my second bubble bath day, so I can't talk right now. And that's okay. That's okay sometimes, but. We also think, have a kind of relationship where I'm comfortable saying that too. <laughs> I think it's pretty badass that you took two bubble baths in one day. <laughs> I have to admit that. About communication, another thing that's really interesting, I have tried positive affirmations off and on. So when I was in active addiction, but I knew I needed help, I went and saw a therapist. It was not an addiction therapist. and. 
she's like, all of your problems will be solved if you just do these positive affirmations. And here's this app. You record your affirmations and you listen to it. So I was listening to the affirmations and literally I'm like, this is stupid. None of this is even true. Why would I say these things to myself? I love myself. Yeah, right. I have problems. You know, my life isn't what I want it to be. Why am I even doing this? And eventually I moved on from that therapist. You know, it was just one of the many tactics that I tried other than quitting drinking to improve my life and started seeing Viv for coaching sessions. And very early on, she said to me, there's two things that you need to do or two phrases that you need to say to yourself every day, twice a day. And it's, I love myself and I am worthy. And I am several weeks into this of consistently stopping whatever I'm doing. And I have a little notes app in my phone and I write it with a little highlighter. I don't want to type it. I want to write it. And so I write out, I love myself. I'm worthy every day. And as strange as it might feel, as abrasive as it might feel, when you're in a really negative space, eventually positive affirmations really speak to your soul. They speak to your subconscious. And so your kind of intellectual, rational brain that's like, this is stupid. This isn't going to affect me. What is this going to do to change my life? How, you know, and that's the way that my brain works. I kind of naysay things all the time and, and poke holes in things. But I knew that I trusted Viv. I knew that I wanted to make this work and I know I want to grow and be a better person. So I committed to doing it. And eventually something kind of shifts in you and you look in the mirror and you're like, Hey, I see you. Okay, cool. I'm, I love myself and I'm worthy. Those things are true. And that communication to your soul level self really makes a difference. Thank you so, so much for that. Being of service in this community and seeing growth is like my mantra that I've done and I've stood by this is I do what I love I make money at it so I can do more of it and I think that that is an affirmation for myself because those are limiting beliefs right that we can we can love ourselves do the things that we love that relationship is you know so toxic with these limiting beliefs that we have and I just wanted to throw that in there when I'm saying this that I appreciate that Molly is talking about when we work together because we had an appointment, a standing appointment. And all of a sudden she called me one day and she starts leaving a message. And this is her message. It's, hey, Viv, I can't make the appointment. Can I please reschedule? Because wait a minute, why am I giving you an explanation? I'm worthy and I love myself. <laughs> I love that so much. <laughs> That's because the knee-jerk reaction is, I'm sorry. Oh, and here's a list of all the reasons and here's this and here's that. And I don't have to explain myself. I haven't done anything wrong. I'm not a bad person. I haven't, you know, I'll owe you anything. And so I started out with the, 
well, I really want to do it. And I went, wait a second. What am I doing? Here, here's, here it is. I'm not able to make the appointment. Boom. End of story. I don't need to say, oh my gosh. And, but that's my inner people pleaser who went, oh no, I failed someone. Oh no. She's thinking I'm not committed. She's thinking that I'm lazy. She's thinking that I'm not as hard of a worker as she is. She's thinking, I'm like, Viv doesn't do that. Why am I doing, I'm doing this to myself. Why? <laughs> because you're the center of the universe. Exactly. <laughs> right? This is or how, so my brain thinks. This is how all our brains think exactly that. Oh my God, we're going to shatter somebody's world if we don't meet their expectations. It, it's just one of those things, you know? So if we can become and come into this awareness of it, it just makes us so much more uh, easy, easy. You know, we go with the flow and life isn't that rigid and hard. It's hard in addiction. There's so many rules to follow in order to keep it going. And now you're in sobriety. You're like water. It doesn't matter if there's a, if there's a pebble or a rock, the stream is flowing. And this is how we learn to survive and swim. And I, I think that that is so beautiful. And thank you. Thank you for that. I, it really warms my soul when I, you know, hear things like that. And thank you. So we'll move on to the next one. So it says, you'll become resilient. Times of crisis and turbulence comes to the best of us. No one is immune. But the real litmus test for, of overcoming comes down to how swiftly we can stand up, dust ourselves off, and get back to the game of life. Sadly, most of us spend many days in the wishing well of life, reminiscing the good old days. Fortunately, it doesn't have to be this way. This is from Nelson, a quote from Nelson Mandela. Do not judge me by my success. Judge me by how many times I fell down and got back up again. That's like, fuck yeah. You know, that is that that's that moment where, you know, we're in that hero's journey. We get knocked down and and we're looking at ourselves and we're like, what am I going to do? I want to finish the thought with it says to immerse yourself in self-reflection. You'll be able to tap into a power that will not only help you get back on your feet, but it'll resurrect your dreams of self-reflection and it'll Begin inner awareness of your strengths and weaknesses. So when a crisis comes knocking, you'll be better equipped not to just stand strong, but to also bounce back faster. What do you ladies think about that? What self-care is all about is, you know, putting yourself first is <clears throat> putting yourself in that, you know, that position to be able to bounce back quickly and. If you're always putting yourself last and you're not doing anything to take care of yourself, then when something comes, like the the wave comes and sweeps you away or whatever, whatever the metaphor was that you just said, you don't have anything left in you to be able to stand back up. And, you know, then you're not able to do anything for anyone else. And if that is your ultimate goal is to be able to be helping other people, you really need to, you know, as they say, put the oxygen mask on first and be be taking care of yourself enough that you can stand back up i'm gonna say really quick mary you've seen me go through depression 
And that was hard. Yeah, Molly, you were barely coming in to the group. And all of a sudden, your group leader is going into depression. And she's like, I can't help nobody. I can't even help myself. So I had to, you know, recruit Luann, which is Namaste, my silver twin. She came in and I, you know, and she came in and that was asking for help. But it was also, if I didn't have that grace, I wouldn't have bounced back as fast as I did. Had I been drinking in that situation of what had happened uh, of triggering that depression and I drank through it, what normally would have taken me a shorter period of time would have probably taken me years. What do you think about, Molly, about that, about the crisis when they come knocking and we're, we're better equipped? I have a hell of a foundation now that I never had. I feel like I have these you know, that that house that's on the water with like the stilts in it. My stilts are like so deep into the dirt that I can weather storms. And previously, you know, when you're numbing, you don't deal. You don't really deal with anything. And there have been some really hard things that I numbed my way through. And eventually got through it, but didn't realize until I was sober that I never really mourned, that I never really healed from that experience. So I am more resilient. I can take things. I, I, it happens all the time where something will happen and I'm like, what is wrong with this day? Every single step that I take is like, my foot is in the mud now and then something else happens and something else happens after that and it's just the universe going hey check it out i'm gonna throw a bunch of stuff at you today and you're gonna deal with it with a whole lot of grace and i do i still get upset and i get frustrated and i have all the same problems that anybody else in the world has sometimes i just want to sit there and cry and sometimes i do sit there and cry. <laughs> that's just like, okay, I need to cry a few tears before I move on. But I get through it and I look back and go, wow, this would have been so much harder when I was drinking. This would have been full on meltdown. You know, maybe I would have lashed out at others, certainly would have lashed out at myself. And now I can go, well, that sucked. Move on and just live life. And it's not so big, so heavy. I still have my whole life ahead of me. Bad things are going to happen. It's the way it works. But I'm confident that I'm going to give myself the space to really deal with it. And I'm allowed to cry or, you know, reach out to my community and have the support of all of these awesome friends that are there and have my back instead of, you know, turning to self-destruction, turning to muting and just turning everything off, all of that. I, I'm just really able to roll with the punches and I feel like I'm kind of on top of those waves instead of being beaten by them. 
Right, right. I came into my thought right now. I, don't, I think you were having one of those days, as we all do. All of us do. Because I, you know, I'll throw that. And I, I think I've actually thrown the GIF in where somebody's getting hit by the wave and they're tumbling all the way back. But I love Molly. There was one time that you had some stuff going on all over the place. And all of a sudden, I see this GIF. Uh, uh, it was a lady eating chips on the couch. <laughs> yes. <laughs> where it's just like, oh, all that stuff is happening. Well, here I am with my bag of Cheetos. I'm just going to observe, you know, because you don't have to get sucked in. You don't have to jump in and start fighting the waves, especially for other people. It's not only not productive, it's not healthy, and it's going to cause you so much stress. So just sometimes you just got to sit back and observe with your bag of Cheetos. I love that. Okay. Going on to number four, it says you'll become a better lover. So it says everything, every thriving and blossoming relationship has one common thread running through. This thread is best defined as self-reliance. Self-reliant individuals have many traits, but their most admirable one is the capacity to nourish themselves. If you desire to be in thriving relationships, You'll need to learn how to nourish yourself. Now, this, this quote comes from Paula Heller Garland. Don't forget to pause and nourish yourself a bit along the way. When you're born to help others, sometimes you forget to help yourself. However, self-nourishment only occurs when you put yourself first. Whether it's morning prayers, reading, journaling, meditation, or yoga, one thing is clear. These practices do something to propel, propel these individual notches higher in the ladder of success. The thing is heightened of self-awareness. When you know yourself, it's easy to draft a vision for your life. So I, you know, I was trying to see what, what it meant by becoming a better lover. And what it means is, or what it meant to me, was I can be a better friend. I can be a better person. Because if I can nourish myself and give myself that grace and give myself that, you know, moment of, you did, you screwed up. Yeah, Viv, you screwed up. You shouldn't have said that. You shouldn't have done that. But you know what? You're human and you get another opportunity. Because you wake up tomorrow and the next day and the next day and we become better lovers as people, people that love one another. And that in itself, if I can give myself grace, it allows me to give others grace. Because then when somebody else, you know, kicks back when and I'll just say it here, when I have my husband, you know, when Armin does something that just irritates the hell out of me. You know, because they're, I'm like, yeah, what are you perfect? Man? Are you, you know, are you that, that, you know, vision of perfection? Are you walking on water? You give the man some grace here. And, you know, and I think that that has been valuable to myself because if I don't give another person grace, if I don't love myself that deeply, if I don't have that bandwidth, then I basically do the self-destructing, 
relationship with another person. And it doesn't just have to be Arlen. It can be anyone. Sometimes, you know, in being a better lover is knowing that we love ourselves and that we mess up. We are not perfect. We are by no means. And in our imperfection, we can have grace and not make meaning out of everything. What do you ladies think about this? Okay. So what I'm thinking about, and we were talking about the ability to see things from up above and really like self-analyze and see your problems, see your emotions, all of those things. And one thing that that has allowed me to do, because I'm very aware, is not project onto others. So, and in that in turn, makes you a more loving person. So instead of looking at someone else's behavior and projecting your own BS onto it, because you're clear-headed, because you can see facts and, and what is really going on with me, with myself, you can really see with clarity what's going on with others. So if there is a hard moment, if someone does something that you don't like, you can stop, take a breath and analyze, am I saying this because of some insecurity that I have? Am I expecting this other person to hate me or, you know, what is it exactly about this? And you're going to be more compassionate and kind and give people grace when you're clear-headed and you have a better understanding of what's going on within yourself. And when you are, you know, after a long period of time, really good at giving yourself grace, it's so much easier to give others grace. And sometimes I will hear something or see something and my knee-jerk reaction still is like, Ew, I don't like that. And I can pause for a second and say, is that something that I would have done in active addiction? Is that something that I've done in the past? And, you know, you don't have to say, oh, well, that's okay. I'm just going to let it go. You can still set boundaries. You can still address an issue. You can also look at it and decide whether or not it's worth to do those things if it's not something that really affects you. And and act accordingly. But giving yourself grace and self-understanding means that you're also going to give that to those around you. It's that ripple effect that we talk about all the time, right? They were like, oh, my God. It, it, uh, the reason I want to bring this up is because I think it's been amazing to see. And I think it, you've had the experience where people have approached you now with their addictions and insecurities that yeah it's kind of wild and I am not open and you know preaching sobriety like every single person I come across but in relationships it comes up because it's such a huge part of my life and if it is such a big part of my life then it kind of just comes up in conversation or I talk about growth or, you know, things like that. And I've had people thank me 
for my honesty. And eventually I've had people sort of open up and say, yeah, I can relate. And I I have these issues too. Or even if it's not a substance addiction, you know, I have an issue with some other kind of compulsion or obsession or, you know, addictive behavior. And that has just blown me away that me being vulnerable, me being open allows other people to feel comfortable and open. And that is just one of the beautiful benefits of recovering out loud. I think when we start to walk in that authenticity of starting to get comfortable in our own skin, right? So we exude some way, somehow safety. And so people start feeling safe to, to talk to us. And sometimes, you know, it's, it's incredible to see that people can feel safe where there was no safety before. Mary, how do you feel about this? How do you feel about becoming a better lover? <laughs> I'm working on that. I'm like a million months pregnant right now. So I think I became too good of a lover. <laughs> Congratulations. On that too. Um, I really like what Molly said about, you know, whenever other people are doing stuff, uh, kind of putting yourself in their shoes and saying, you know, is this something I would have done, especially in active addiction? I think so many of us in recovery have so many people in our lives that have problematic relationships with substances. You know, it's not my place to label anyone an addict necessarily. But for me, I was actively using for more than 15 years. So of course, everybody that I surrounded myself with were people, like-minded people that were doing the same thing. And so really being able to give grace to those around you and understanding where they're coming from and understanding that they're not on the journey that you are on, or maybe they are, but they're just in a different place than you, I think is really, really big and really important. And I think, you know, being being able to put yourself first and love yourself and kind of give yourself, kind of be able to get what you need internally instead of trying to seek that validation from others is really, really huge because if you're not trying to fill your kind of empty spaces inside with the validation from other people, then you're really able to actually be there and be present and be giving back to the people in your lives. And I think that that has been really big for me is to actually be able to be like a real friend or a real partner or a real mom even without looking for some kind of just, I mean, I've said it a few times now, but like external validation from from those people in your lives, I think is is really huge because you're really then just bringing your best self to them. Whenever you're looking to others to, you know, tell you you're pretty or tell you that you're good enough or tell you that, you know, you did a good job on that project or whatever it's going to be, you're never going to get that to your full expectation from other people and so you're always going to feel like like you're not good enough and so if you're able to to say hey I did a good job on this or hey you're looking you're looking good today or you know whatever it is that you're telling yourself um 
to be able to validate yourself is is huge because it's so much more satisfying to be able to get it from within and it's just a lot better for your relationships with other people i feel like yeah you know I, you bring up a really good point because i think that that is something that i struggled with in the beginning and i still struggle with it because i have to catch myself there's no perfection here um in 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 the way that my mind works sometimes i'm like why did i have that thought right what 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 was i why did it come across like and then to be able to be to sit with myself and say something about comparison right and comparison in and it can come in so many different ways. It can come in the way of the journey of sobriety of, you know, the way that the business is looking like or the way that the self-image to portray out there. And each and every day, that thing of being the better lover, I really think is something so big to me because I have made assumptions of other people as a reflection of my own so when things have happened like when my husband has relapsed and i've talked about this in zooms you know it, it in the my knee-jerk reaction is to say oh my god what is everybody gonna think you're a sober coach you're this you're that you're the other and then when i you know i can pull back and realize and talk to myself and soothe myself and say that, you know what? I give that other person grace that it doesn't mean anything about me. Drifter taught me that a lot. And, you know, Drifter would say, it's, it's not about you. It's an addiction. It's an addiction. With everything else, now I'm able to sit with myself. And when the thoughts come, you know, I have to catch them. That is the self-awareness. That is the self-love that nobody and nothing outside of you means anything about you. Mm -hmm. Meaning to yourself, you are your own light. And, you know, the way that I reframed it now, it, and I tried to teach this as well, is if you see it as a possibility in someone else, that is possible for you. If it's possible for that person, it is possible for me. And going from that aspect and that perspective gives us so much freedom because now we're in the joy of sobriety, right? And even it, for whatever reason, anything comes up and I'll feel insecure about something, like, give. Give yourself that grace. It's okay to feel insecure. It's okay to feel insignificant. It's okay not to be the best at whatever, whatever that is. But show up. Just show up. I wanted to say something because it's come into my brain with all the things you're saying about codependency. <clears throat> so just like any addiction with alcohol, eventually, you know, you start out and <clears throat> you're not necessarily addicted that first sip, but you get to that point where you have to have alcohol to be at your normal. So, you know, there's this baseline and you have to have alcohol to be at that baseline. With relationships, it can be the same way. So you can have 
this hole in your heart, hole in your soul, whatever, this need that needs, you know, something that needs to be fulfilled. And it could come from trauma. You know, maybe you didn't have great connections with your family. You know, there's so many different reasons. I know my childhood played a part in it. And that compulsive need for love, for attention, for validation from other people just to bring you to the baseline means that you're not getting to experience the joy, the true joy of being in that relationship. It's just getting you to your baseline. So when I was drinking to get to that baseline, I wasn't like, wow, this is fantastic. What? How great. You know, I was just like, oh, okay, I can make it through my day. And by reframing my thoughts about myself and my beliefs about myself and filling the hole in my heart with myself and self-care and these mindsets, any validation, compliments, love, connection is this beautiful icing on the cake that I can truly look at and be like, what a beautiful, perfect moment, you know? And I can actually fully enjoy it instead of being like, oh, finally got that hit of love that I needed. I got that hit of validation that I needed. And now I'm back to the baseline and I'm ready to chase it a little more. And it has made the beautiful moments with my family, with my friends, that much more beautiful and worth having. You know, I think to some extent we get caught up in this cycle and and can't see the, the big picture when we're chasing validation and love. And, you know, like you said, there's no perfection here. I'm still working on that, but it's the thing outside of just being sober that I feel like I've made the most progress on and that has impacted my life in the most positive way. Wow. Absolutely. I've seen it. Well said. Well said. I think that that is amazing because you're you're right. It is that dopamine hit that we look for in others. Right. And I think that that also is another type of uh of becoming a better lover is basically becoming a better lover within ourselves. So we don't have to look at that codependent and co-addictive relationship and compromise our own self-worth and values for others. So I think that that is something also that is big in this journey. Mary, do you have any thoughts on it? That was all just so well said. (laughs) I think, yeah, I I think you guys made some really good points there and... Yeah, I just agree with with everything you said. Okay, I um, I want to read one last thing in closing, and it says, "Putting yourself first is not a selfish endeavor; it's a culture that you need to incorporate into your way of life. This is how you continue to empower yourself. You have self worth, self improvement, growth, and then you you actually gain." an identity, which I think is so true. So I just wanted to thank you ladies for being here, being so open, 
gracious, vulnerable, courageous, and allowing for others to be able to listen to this. And I hope it resonates with other women that are going through this journey, that it's not perfection. It's only progress, not perfection. So do you, Molly, do you have anything to say in closing? Yeah. Um, can I ask you to read what you read again? <laughs> Sorry. I had something in my brain and it disappeared. I was like, oh, this would be a good thing to say. And then I forgot it. <laughs> I love that. It might <laughs> happen to me like 10 times. So hey, it's early. It's putting yourself first is not a selfish endeavor. It's a culture that you need to incorporate into your way of life. This is how you continue to empower yourself, your self-growth, your self-improvement, and actually your identity. Okay, I remember. All right. So many people blame their childhood on things that have happened. And there is 100% that contributed and it's a reason why. And I, I look at, I look back on my childhood and my people pleasing and everything and it codependency and people pleasing was absolutely ingrained. But the biggest thing that I recommend is empower yourself to undo that programming. Empower yourself to look at it and it, it's great to understand the whys behind what happened. And get this, oh my gosh, epiphany and awareness about what is going on. But don't stop there and begin to undo the programming of people pleasing and codependency because you're the one that's keeping it going. And you have, you're the master of your mind, your life, your destiny. All of those things. And you can take it into your own hands and say, that's the way I did things. That's not the way I'm going to do things moving forward. And make little steps to reiterate that you're worthy, that you don't have to continue on the path that you've gone down, and that all of those behaviors that you have, you have the power to fix. You have the power to change. And you can do it. If I can do it and I'm still doing it, anybody can do it. Yes, absolutely. I, I'm a thousand percent with you. Yes, those limiting beliefs do hold us back. And I think that that is such great advice on people starting their journey. Because when you start your journey, one of the good things that it's a good and it's a double-edged sword. You start the journey and then all of a sudden you pull the alcohol out. And the reason why it says identity is because if I'm not this, who am I? Right? That's, that's the thing. So keep digging. Like you're, you, you talk about keep digging. Find who you are in this, you know, in this whole journey of self-discovery. That's why I have talked about it. And I say it's not recover, recovery. It's self-discovery we're discovering ourselves you know mary what would you say to someone in early sobriety about putting yourself first i mean i think it's so important i think 
dropping those codependent behaviors are it's it's huge for yourself and for your identity i know for me drinking alcohol and smoking weed was basically my identity for more than half my life and so dropping those and figuring out who i was uh has been huge it's been huge for my self-esteem it's been huge for my self-respect it's been huge for all my relationships and i think it's you know allowed me to to be myself and through that uh, and through not looking for the external validation I'm a lot less of a codependent person than I used to be and I think through through that I've been able to kind of be a lighthouse for some of the people around me because because the more codependent I am the more codependent my relationship is with my husband the more I'm modeling that behavior for my daughter and through being able to be the best version of myself because I'm taking care of myself and I'm putting myself first I'm modeling good and healthy standards of behavior and good healthy relationships for all the people around me you know whether it's uh whether it is me and my spouse or me and my daughter or um even my coworkers I've had people come to me and just say that I have I have such good boundaries and they see the way that that I interact with other people at work and they want to be able to do that themselves. And I think that's that's really big to be able to to show people, you know, kind of a, a better path <laughs> through my own behavior, if you will. Because it's, you know, it you're you kind of start it and it feels like selfish, like we were saying before, you know, what's the line between selfish and self-care, but it really does help everybody around you and it will come out in ways that you don't even see and I think being able to kind of break that cycle of codependency that I learned from from my own family when I was younger and stuff like that and just through my addiction and being able to hopefully break that for you know my kids in the future is is huge and that really is you know what it's all about it is it really is I just wanted to say thank you to both of you for being such amazing human beings. And you inspire me each and every day uh, that we walk together in this journey. I think I also wanted to say that, and I, I want to talk about this just a little bit because you brought up something really big for me, Mary. It was uh, this last Wednesday, we celebrated my two year and my daughter showed up. And to hear her speak, about the difference that she can call me 24 hours a day you know it doesn't matter what time it is she's going to be there and she's going to show up and that has oh my god has come from putting myself first and because it meant that while I drank I had to give in to them and whatever they wanted and their tantrums if you will but then now it's such a healthy relationship because we're there for each other and I'm able to be there in awareness and I'm changing that in her, in her life. So now she can change it for, you know, her daughters. And that is a beautiful thing to see. And now we're just breaking it. We're breaking it apart and we're throwing it away. And to see her just with such love and just such, there was such emotion behind it was just so uh 
it it it, it is one of the most satisfying things in this journey that I want to say that no woman should ever or any human being should ever have to feel shame for putting themselves first and for being in active addiction. We're here to help and we understand you. We're here to walk with you and love you. And I suffered to almost to death. And I know that we've, you know, we've all had our share of, like you said, Mally, of the way that our lives have worked and what it's been and our stories of recovery, which we're going to do yours very soon. But I'm like, you know, this is something we do these programs in order to be able to allow others to breathe. I know you that you're not alone. There's nothing wrong. You're all perfect. We're all just humans. We're human beings and not human doings. So thank you so much, ladies. I really appreciate your time. And I love sharing space with you. So it was a wonderful. This conversation definitely touched my heart. Yeah, thank you for having us. All right. Thank you. And thank you, Sobertown. Thank you, listeners, for letting us into your space to give you a piece of our hearts with love.